Hi, I'm Mark Kent. And I'm Jacob Pusey. And you're listening to the Art and Science of Running podcast. If you climb in the sea just before she came from behind to finish second at the London Marathon. Sarah has been one of the top American distance runners for decades, but the fun part about this interview is that we don't really even speak much about Sarah's accolades. We talk about who Sarah is and what makes her tick. We talk about her motivations, her family, and her goals as a global citizen, a mother, and a partner. We talk about the pros and cons of having your partner also be your coach and the strains that can place on the relationship or the training dynamic. We talk about how Sarah and her husband Ryan decided at the prime of their athletic careers to adopt and raise three children and how they have learned to juggle the various responsibilities of parenthood and professional running. We really enjoyed learning from Sarah and are confident that you'll also learn from the insights that she shares. This episode is sponsored by Insight Tracker. Today more than ever, it's essential that we are making the right decisions to keep our bodies healthy, to live better, be resilient, take control, and be proactive for whatever the world throws at us but we are overwhelmed with nutritional information, leaving us with more questions than answers. Does that even work? Can I trust it? Will that work for me and my goals? How do you know what your body uniquely needs unless you ask it? For the truth seekers, the change makers, and the goal setters, the answers are inside you. Insight Tracker is the ultra-personalized nutrition and wellness platform that analyzes data from your blood, your DNA, and your lifestyle to help you optimize your body and reach your goals. Insight Tracker's patented system will transform your body's data into knowledge, insights, and a customized action plan of science-backed recommendations. Are you ready to take control of your health and wellness journey? Unlock the power of your potential with Insight Tracker. Go to info.insighttracker.com forward slash early access to be the first to hear about Insight Tracker's best deal of the year. Like you, our lives have been impacted by the uncertainty in the world. While we appreciate some of the lessons that we have learned by slowing the pace of life down a bit, we also recognize the value of routine and consistency. We believe in setting goals and working toward them. Given that so many in-person races have already been canceled or postponed in 2021, we've created a virtual race series for the athletes that we coach at Peak Run Performance to put some dates and distances on their calendars to work and train towards throughout the year. We believe that the collective momentum of a community working toward a common goal can be empowering and motivating. We also feel that it can provide a greater sense of accountability. We are offering this race series to the athletes we currently coach at Peak Run Performance, but figure that we might as well invite others to join in on the fun. If you are looking for a bit more certainty in these uncertain times, please visit peakrunperformance.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be sending out more information about the Peak Run Performance virtual race series in the coming weeks. Welcome back to another episode of the Art and Science of Running podcast. Today, we have another special guest in Sarah Hall. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Really happy to have you. Um, Sarah is one of the most accomplished American distance runners, uh, at least of our generation. And one thing that really stands out about Sarah is is the longevity of her career. Sarah was a standout 
high school runner and um, has continued through college and into the pro ranks and, and has shown quite a bit of range, um, specializing in what would be considered mid-distance um, all the way up to the marathon and has excelled at, at all distances. And, and so that's definitely one thing we want to touch on today. But um, but there there's so much more to Sarah Hall and, and we, beyond your running accolades, and we definitely want to get into that as well. So thanks for making the time to chat with us, Sarah. Yeah, thanks for having me. So there are so many different uh, <laughs> places we could go from here. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll continue to indulge um, and give what little personal experience I have with with you. Um, I met you and your husband, Ryan, in Flagstaff six years ago now um, at, a, at a birthday party for my brother, who was also a guest on the show. And I'll be honest, prior to meeting you and prior to meeting Ryan in person, I was a huge fan, and yet at the same time, even if I'd hear you on podcasts or I'd read posts and they were just always so positive, and um, I didn't believe that that could be true, that you could actually be that nice of a person, <laughs> that genuine of a person. <laughs> no one is that nice. No one is that authentic. No one is that real. Um, no one is that convicted um, in who they are and in their faith, and, and then... I mean, it, it didn't take more than a couple of seconds to to realize, yep, you are, <laughs> you, you are who you say you are and, uh, and profess to be. And, um, and that was just really heartening. I mean, I was, I was there in Blackstaff going to grad school where the whole point of, you know, what we were doing was to deconstruct and to, to find the chinks in people's armor and things like that. And it was just, this is really inspiring to meet someone who is just, the genuine article and, and is who they say they are. And, um, and even since that brief um, meeting that we had, um, I've been, I've been even more impressed by, by what you have done as a runner, but, but also as a, as a fellow human, um, as a mother. And so that, that's also part of why I wanted to have you on here is just, there's so much negativity right now in the news. And so, <laughs> so much to be worried about. And um, I wanted you to be on the show in part to give us some hope. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you. That really means a lot to me to, to hear you say that. I appreciate that. So, in in addition to all that you've accomplished as a as a runner, um, as I mentioned, you know, you were, you were a standout runner in high school. You ran at Stanford, which was which was and usually is one of the top um, distance running programs in the country. And then you've since had, at least for professional runner, you've had you've had quite a long career, and it doesn't look like it, you're slowing down anytime soon. What do you attribute to that longevity? Like how there there are other people our age. I think we're we're essentially the same age. There are other people our age who who were done five years ago, or you know, even even longer ago. How how have you maintained that level of excellence for so long? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, probably the number one is just being really uh, persistent and stubborn. I guess would be another way to say it, but um, just I've had a lot of setbacks and failures and stuff, but, um, I think I've just become like more and more resilient, uh, the longer my career has gone on where I just, um, I, I get, it takes a lot to get me discouraged now. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a number of reasons why people leave the sport. Some is physical, right? Like if you have a lot of injuries and, it, you kind of lose the joy of it um, from that, or you physically can't do it anymore. And then there's also just like the discouragement factor. And um, 
and I was definitely ready to walk away from the sport in around like 2009, 2010, actually. So that was like 10 years ago. Um, but, um, for me, uh, a lot of that was just be, well, for one, I, I didn't really see myself doing this as a career and, or doing it like I would have never guessed I would do it for now it's been 15 years and, and yeah, still getting faster and still wanting to do it longer. And, um, that, that's a total surprise. Cause I, I always saw myself going straight into kind of, um, international development work, like missions work out of college and, and, um, was really passionate about helping people in extreme poverty. And, um, and so I thought, you know, when I did decide to do pro running, I thought maybe I'd do it for a year or two and just kind of for the experience of it and stuff. But, um, but I would have never guessed it. I would, I would keep going. And, and really, um, for me in that, uh, in that pivotal time, 2009, 2010, when I was ready to walk away, um, the reason I didn't was because Ryan was at the time, you know, at the peak of his career, like setting American records and, um, very much loving what he was doing, hunkered down in Mammoth, uh, Mammoth Lakes, a little tiny mountain town in, in California. And so, um, so had we not been married, I probably still would not be running right now, but, um, but he kept me in the sport and that I was like, well, I can't really do the things I want to do right now. Like we can't move to Africa and, and start doing work. So, um, so I guess like, well, one, I'm like, I'm going to start investing in those things now. And so right around that time we started our foundation, we had already been doing some work for team world vision, uh, engaging runners to raise money for clean water, but we thought we could do more with our own private foundation and, um, so I, I started, started that and started really investing in that. And then also decided to keep running because that was kind of, um, I did still, I, I still loved running. Like, um, I was really discouraged by my performances at, at the time, but since I couldn't move on to something else, like I still did want to maybe see where, where I could go with it. And, um, and kind of around that time too, this is a longer story, but just, I experienced some stuff spiritually, um, in my relationship with God that just really freed me up from some of the stuff that was holding me back, uh, in my career and, um, a lot of fear of failure and fear of, of others, criticism and, um, different things that were, were kind of stealing the joy for me at the time. And so I found that's actually probably the number one thing that has given me longevity because, now, having gotten freed up from those things, I'm enjoying my career the most I ever have. I feel the most free doing it to take risks and have fun. And um, and I think the more you can kind of, yeah, I, I think the more you um, can can be freed up and enjoy the positive things of of running. There's a lot of pressures and a lot of negative things that can bog you down, but um, but that'll allow you to really enjoy the sport for a longer period of time. Thank you for sharing that and hope we can get into that even a little bit more. When did you and Ryan first start making trips to Africa? When did that start? Was that right around that same time? Um, yeah, I had actually been in college because my sister does malaria research. So um, she she was living in Tanzania at the time and visited her there as well as our first trip, Ryan and my uh, first trip together was in 
uh, it was right after the Beijing Olympics. We went in 2008. Um, and that was really pivotal. I'd grown up kind of spending time in the developing world and seeing poverty outside the U S that, um, on just another scale. And so that had really shaped me as a person growing up, but Ryan hadn't really. And so, um, that was really a pivotal time for him to actually be exposed to that and, and, um, also kind of catch the vision that, that I had for using our running for something greater. Well, it, it truly is inspiring that you, you're both, um, so accomplished as runners, but to see that you're doing it, um, and, and that you truly gain inspiration from the opportunity to serve and to, to open doors for other people, um, in, in the developed world. How long ago was it? It was it three or four years ago that, that you adopted your, your daughters? Yeah, it'll be five years, uh, this October that, yeah, wow. they came home. Wow. That's, that's incredible. And do you mind, I know you've spoken about this before, um, but do you mind telling us a little bit about that process and, and how, how you made that choice and, and why you decided to do that? Um, I mean, that's, that's not just a trip <laughs> post Olympics. Um, that's like, that's a, that's a total life changing, um, decision. Um, and, um, it's one thing to say, Hey, we're between Olympic cycles. Let's try and have a baby. It's another thing to say, Hey, let's adopt four kids who don't speak English. Um, and, <laughs> and raise yeah. them. Well, while in the middle, like, like at the prime of our careers kind of thing. So how, who does that other than you? <laughs> and, and, and how did, how did you get to that point? Um, like how did you come to that decision? Yeah. Um, well, I would always wanted to adopt internationally, um, you know, spending time abroad and seeing the orphan crisis and obviously like adoption isn't like the solution to the orphan crisis. It's, it's kind of just the solution for like a select few. Right. And, but, um, but for those few, like it can be really life-changing compared to growing up in an institution and, um, and Ethiopia in particular, I think I felt really drawn to Africa in general, just with the HIV AIDS crisis there. Um, you know, Ethiopia has something like 5 million orphan children, um, in that country alone. And so, um, so yeah, I, uh, we decided to start the process, um, a couple years before bringing the girls home. So I guess it was about seven years ago. And we initially thought we would adopt just like one baby because it was our first child and, you know, you're rookies and you don't know what you're doing. Um, but as we started the process and actually we went over to Ethiopia for the first time and we went to our, our agency's, uh, orphanage and, um, we just spent a lot of time with the, the older in quotes, older kids, which means like three and older are, <laughs> they're considered like older and, uh, and in that way, kind of unadoptable also. Um, it's really rare for kids over the age of three to be adopted and, um, so the more time we spent with those kids, like we were like, oh my gosh, we would adopt any of these kids. Like they're, they're so great. And, um, and so that really opened our hearts to older kids. Um, but, uh, we still were thinking maybe like one <laughs> and then, uh, as when you're in the process, kind of people circulate files of kids that 
are harder to place. So maybe they have severe special needs or maybe they're older or they're in a, a big sibling group like our, our daughters. And so we saw people trying uh, posting about our daughters and trying to find a family for them. And, um, and Ryan was very much like, let's do it. Like he's very like impulsive, very, uh, very like, um, and, and I can be too, but I think like, because both of us are that way. Like, I think I have, to, I tend to be more like the voice of reason or something. And so I was a little more like, I don't know about this. Like this could be the end of life as we know it. And, and I think we were at different points in our career. Like his was not going very well and he was kind of ready for a change of lifestyle. Whereas I was after experiencing a lot of disappointment and frustration was experiencing a lot of success on the roads and really enjoying it. And it was like really rejuvenating my career. And so the thing with adoption is like, you're not really under a time crunch at all. Like you could <laughs> wait. And so I, I wasn't sure actually for a while, but, um, we decided to go over and meet our daughters and in a way that they didn't know that's why we were there. We were just kind of hanging out with all the kids and, you know, I, we prayed about it a lot, but it, it wasn't really like a moment where we felt a clear, um, sense like from God that it was the right decision. It was, it was more just a choice. Um, and a lot of it was coming down to like every, the only reasons we, we could think of that, um, to not do it were, were fear-based decisions. And a lot of that was, I had heard a lot of really negative experiences, pretty much only negative experiences from other families that had adopted older kids from Ethiopia. Like they just had a really hard road. And with adoption, you're kind of just signing a contract, like for the rest of your life that like, come what may, you know, you're willing to love these kids and, and you have no idea what that's going to hold. And, um, and it might be, uh, and it, it, even with biological kids, it's the same way. Um, you know, you don't know what you're going to necessarily, um, have as a, as a biological parent, like you could have a child with severe disabilities or something that's really life changing, but, um, but you're kind of saying come what may, you know? And, uh, so we, so yeah, uh, our, I didn't mention this, but our, our daughters were five, uh, seven, 13 and 15 at the time. And so they were, you know, it's just different when like, when you have a little baby, it's like it pulls something out of you where it's like, you want to, you have to nurture it, you have to protect it. And, and that's like a real, that's a big part of the bonding. But with like my older two daughters, like they were essentially like women already, you know, so it's, it's definitely like a different experience where, when you're deciding, it's not necessarily how we envisioned having our family. Um, but for me, it was, it was kind of a moment of choosing, uh, like this is actually like being able to meet a need through adoption is actually something I've wanted to do since I was a young kid and like choosing to do this instead of like, even if it was going to really alter, like I thought I'd potentially not be able to ever run again, like race again, and my career would be over. And, um, but it was a moment of like not selling out, you know, and not just like so much as a professional runner, you're making decisions based on your career, like where you live and, and, um, so much is self-centered. It was, it was kind of a moment of being able to be like, you know what, this is like really who I am and I'm not going to sell out and have my life just revolve around running. And 
we're going to choose love over fear in this situation and just kind of like jump off the cliff. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, I, I love just how you sum, summarize that, that you, you chose love over fear. And um, I, I think most decisions in life require that, that leap of faith, so to speak. Um, there are so many reasons not to do whatever it is that, that might challenge or change us. Um, and, and most of those are fear-based reasons. And it's not that people need to act recklessly or irrationally, but um, at the same time, if, if in your heart of hearts, that's what you always wanted to do. Um, the fact that you, you, I like that you, you say that you, that you chose that. It, it wasn't necessarily that you were like compelled to do it. It was just like, that was the choice that you made and, and you've owned it. And um, your career <laughs> hasn't had a downward trajectory since then. I mean, you, you, you keep getting faster, so I don't know how that works, but um, yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's been inspiring. Um, oh, thanks. I, yeah. Yeah, How that's that's been a doing? big blessing out of it because I did not expect that. Um, I thought it would be really negatively affected. But, um, yeah, to be able to get faster every year since being a mom has been something I, I feel really thankful for. Yeah, I, I know we could probably talk all day about the challenges of parenting. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but what are some things that um, that you think – I mean, certainly there there are some unique circumstances and situations of of um, I like how you put it, bringing your kids home at the ages that they were, um, with um, some of the where they were in terms of their academics and, and just in terms of knowing English and things like. Had they been in schools in Ethiopia in the orphanage, or um, had they had any formal education prior to coming to the U.S.? No, um, they hadn't. And so, yeah, um, we, that was one of the reasons we started making trips to Ethiopia, uh, from the moment we decided to adopt them about, uh, 10 months later, we finished the process, but we spent every other month there and just to kind of get them going on English and, um, and basics of math and different things, just cause we were looking down the road and we were like, um, oh man, this is going to be really tough for them once they start school in the U.S. So, um, so yeah, it was that. And then they also knew no English. Um, and they also hadn't really had, you know, they'd grown up in a very rural area. So, so there were so many things about kind of, uh, it was just a totally different life for them coming here. <laughs> and so we really expected a lot of culture shock. Um, but surprisingly, they took everything really in um, in stride. And they really like, we, our kind of mode of parenting was like, well, let's like, let's just try putting them in school. Like, yeah, they don't know any English. And like, she's going into eighth grade when she's at a kindergarten level, but like, let's just try it. And, and kind of every point along the way, like they really rose to the occasion and we were kind of like checking in with them the whole time. Like, is this are you like trying to see any signs of like being overwhelmed? But but really, it's been pretty amazing. Kids are 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 really a lot more resilient and and can adapt a lot more than we give them credit for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, when I when I learned that that you and Ryan were doing this um, prior to us meeting, I was I worked for I don't know eight eight years ago as a 
as an ESL teacher. And so I knew that your girls would probably be in a classroom similar to what, <laughs> what I had at one point. Um, yeah. And I, and I wondered, I wondered about that. And it, I, I mean, I know we can only share so much about our families on social media and things like that, but I, um, it, it has been uh, really inspiring to see um, what the progress they've made. Um, and, and as again, just a, <laughs> more as a fan than anything, um, it's been fun to, to just, um, it's been inspiring to, to see the progress that, that they've made. And, um, and like you said, how quickly it happens. Um, I don't, I don't think people realize, <laughs> um, there's a lot to complain about. There's a lot to, um, there's a lot that could improve in the U S or in other parts of the developed world. But, um, it wasn't uncommon for me as a teacher to get someone at 17 or 18 that had never been in school before in their lives. And so didn't yeah. know write in their native language, let alone English. And, and sometimes I, I'd get a couple extra years with them if it was that late, but it's pretty incredible when someone can show up in eighth grade or, or 10th grade and still somehow graduate from high school or at a minimum have the skills to, you know, get a GED and get a job and things like that. It's um, like you said, it's, it's impressive how resilient um, kids can be when that, um, when they're given that challenge and they have that support of, of loving parents and teachers and support system like that. So. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's been cool to see my oldest will be starting, um, college at Grand Canyon University um, in just a month and a half and, or two months. And she uh, she got a scholarship there to run on the team. And I would have never thought that that kind of stuff would be possible, you know, and like it's been yeah. it's been a monumental road to get there, like for all of us. But like and and she still has such a uphill battle when she gets there. Right. Like, who knows if but it's just the fact that it was even a possibility, like is it's pretty amazing. I would, I, th I thought I was like, am I going to have to homeschool her the rest of, you know, like I, I, was, I just had no idea like what she, she was going to be capable of at the time. And just, yeah, it's been pretty neat, pretty rewarding. Yeah. What, what has that been like? I mean, in addition to the schoolwork, I mean, was it, they'd come home from school and, and then you, you'd have hours of homework to, to play catch up or, or did a lot of the learning just occur in the classroom or how, how demanding was it on, on your schedule outside of the school day as far as just getting them up or. Yeah. Initially um, there wasn't as much because they were just so like, like just knew no English and stuff that they really couldn't like do very much. But then it, it really ramped up quick. Um, and that that's some of the stuff that I really didn't enjoy about this whole whole process was probably my least favorite period is like homework time, you know, because yeah. it's like they're tired after a long day. And like, granted, especially like they are trying to understand what's going on the whole time in a language that is not their first language. And um and I'm tired because I've been running 130 miles a week. And so I'm not really wanting to like be tutoring um, at the end of the day. And yeah, so that was challenging as well as like really just having to advocate for them in the classroom, right? Like they were in the public school system and, um, you know, you have to, 
you have to some ways be the squeaky wheel to get the grease. And, um, so that, that took a lot of even just figuring out which school and, and how to get her with the right teachers and the right support and all that was, was a very, um, took a lot of time. And, and then it was like, once we decided we were actually, she, she actually was going to go for college and, and running in college, which was kind of her dream. Then it was the whole like checking all the NCAA boxes. <laughs> and that was like a whole other thing we didn't even know about in the beginning of her high school experience. So we were really behind on the core courses. You need like 16 of them and to be eligible. And so she's done like a ton of extra online classes over the last year just to make those up. So we're kind of helping her with those at home as well. And so it's, it's definitely like, we're, we're like, definitely looking forward to a little bit of a break when our oldest goes to college because she's definitely been the one that needed the most help of everyone because she was the most behind and stuff yeah. um but but yeah it's but very rewarding to see her get to finally reach her dream and and uh and get to run for actually it's my friend Sarah Slattery that's the coach there which is like so ideal and so yeah, yeah. really fun that's really cool so what's that like I, I think people was, might assume that that you you selected Ethiopia because of the great running tradition, um, and you <laughs> and you handpicked the girls to become the next generation of Hulls to dominate the roads in America. But th- they weren't runners before moving home with you, correct? Not at all. No. Been like in, I mean, I obviously not anywhere near as fast as Ryan, um, but my my kids have decent genes, and and their lives because our lives revolve in some profession around running, there's, there's pressure to be like your parents. Um, and, and so how is it that, how, how have you and Ryan gone about introducing extracurricular activities to the girls and um, supporting it and encouraging it without being overbearing or without putting too much pressure on them? Yeah. It's something we've tried to be really intentional about um, and are really kind of dialoguing about, all the time because we we definitely don't all want them to feel pressure or expectation from us um and want them to feel free to like chart their own path and uh it's been really different between all four of them so the the oldest um when we first met her the first first day we told told them we were gonna adopt them um we told them we were runners and she was like, Oh, I want to be a runner. And, uh, and that's a lot like in Ethiopia, like the runners are their heroes, you know? And so, um, so I think they all kind of have a, a mentality that if I trained, I could be like Bekele and Dababa and all these people, you know? And so, um, so she had never run and she was actually like kind of unhealthily overweight at the time that we adopted her just from being really like sedentary in the orphanage at a time where, you know, your, your body's changing a lot and stuff. And, and, and in that culture, it's like when there's people kind of dying of malnutrition and starvation, it's like, there's definitely an emphasis on like overfeeding and stuff in the orphanage when you get there. Cause that's seen as being healthy, you know? Um, And so, so we were like, okay, great. Like, we'll help you, you know? And, and we just initially just supported her, um, by just getting active, 
was the number one goal. And then um, she just joined the local team and just really took to it. She just has an ability to push herself for sure. And um, I think just uh, being able to deal with discomfort is a big part of running. And that's something I think growing up in Ethiopia um, that she just has a little bit of an advantage in compared to American kids that are just probably just naturally more comfortable, you know, in how they grow up and, and stuff. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, so then our, our second oldest, she, she kind of tried it for a little while. Then she wanted to try some other sports and we were super supportive of that. So she played like volleyball, basketball, just kind of dabbled and then ended up coming back to running with like a, a fury and like all like before she she started running again she was like I want to run with Hana and we're kind of like you know she's a state champion right like and you haven't even been running for like over a year but sure enough she just started she's almost as fast as her now and she really worked hard this last year so that's been cool to just see her kind of make it her own in her own timing you know um and then the young ones were really just trying to push to do team sports and lateral movement sports and they definitely have running talent like you can see it but um but I think the best way to develop that is actually like doing soccer and stuff like that early on um so so we'll see if they end up in running or if they end up just sticking with those those sports which we'd be fine with but the main thing is for us, like, I think in how we're maybe a little different than a lot of American families, like for us, like physical activity isn't like optional. <laughs> like we're kind of like, your body's meant to move and, you know, you can be artistic, but that doesn't mean you don't move your body, you know, like, like you're going to be doing something like it's, if not organized sports, like you're gonna, you need to like jump on the trampoline at home or like go on a hike with the dogs or like do something because that's like what our bodies are made to do. So, um, so yeah, the girls have started to like really catch on to that though. And they, they make sure to get in their like exercise of whatever it is, jumping rope or <laughs> doing something. That's great. Um, I, you posted recently that you did like a, a wee dance party with the girls and, and you said that that had been like the first time in five years that you had broken out the, the we. And so I, I was wondering how, how those conversations went. I, I guess if, if, if they'd never experienced video games, um, that introducing them at whatever point is, is fine. But, um, are there comparisons like with, with friends or peers when they go to other people's houses and then, you know, they come back and they're like, you know, why, why don't we spend more time watching TV or what, <laughs> like, do, do you, do you feel like you deal with some of the same things that other parents of teenagers deal with in, in that respect? I mean, I, I have a 13 oh, yeah. year old right now, but I'm, <laughs> that I'm actually giving him time to be on the screen while he uh, watches the other kids so that we can have a conversation. So totally. how to, how do you balance that? Or how, how do you deal with the, um, different expectations about screen. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that like, I hope I'm doing all these things, right. You know, you don't really know till 10 years from now and you ask your kids or they're in therapy or whatever, but, um, that's definitely something that I've tried to be really intentional with. Like, cause what I've seen is like, if a screen is an option, like they're going to choose that every time, you know, <laughs> like, um, but if it's not an option, like it's really fun to see 
what they end up doing, like the creative things they end up doing outside or with each other, or like, just like, they'll, they'll start like, you know, my, my oldest daughter will be kind of hunkered down in her room as teenagers do. And they'll just kind of, the other kids will come in, they'll start trying on all her clothes and doing a fashion show. And, you know, it's like, it's so fun to see like what they come up with, but it's like, but if the screen is on, like, that's what they're doing, like hundred percent of the time. So, um, so yeah, we definitely, we, we do movies, we, you know, but we definitely, uh, are intentional about how much and the, we was, was definitely, um, yeah, we had it hidden ever since they came home just cause like, I didn't want them addicted to video games, but with COVID and kind of just, we hadn't traveled in a while or gotten to really do as many fun things. I was like, okay, like, let's just try this. And so, um, it has been super fun to like, uh, do the dance, um, just dance and do the different Wii sports. But, but part of me still has this, like, we have a tennis court on our, our property and it's like, we'll be playing Wii tennis. And then I'm like, guys, we have like a tennis court, like right outside, you know? And it's like, but instead we're like inside playing the Wii tennis. So I don't, I don't love that. So we're still trying to find the balance, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm trying to lean right now towards more like letting them find monitor themselves and like instead of always being the one to kind of set the boundaries and like like teaching them how to like help have, have self control and like realize when they've they've been playing too much and so that's that's my current goal. <laughs> well, I I'm impressed when I saw that I was like wow. That's a long, that, that is some stamina and some resilience to be able to like, like withhold the onslaught and like the demand for more screen time and stuff like that. So I, I didn't grow up with a lot of screens in my house. And so I didn't think that it would be as hard as it is. But there, yeah. there's some kids. I, I, I do remember going to my, my friend's house that did have like the, the video game consoles. And so it was like, you know, parents would be like, you have to go outside and play. And it was like, I'm just going to go down the street and play with my friend that, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> you, you guys won't let me do it, but I, I know someone whose parents will let us or they're not home. So, um, so it's that balance. Okay. And I, I have, I haven't found it yet because I, um, sometimes I view it as an opportunity to spend quote unquote quality time with at least my son. Like that's something he loves doing yeah. right now. Um, he's in a cast and so there aren't a whole lot of things that we can do outside with movement. Um, but, uh, because he was <laughs> so daring the, the last time he was, um, outside. So, so one thing that we can do to bond is play video games, but like I have a hard time like, I just really have a hard time even getting into it. I'm just like, could we just go, like you said, <laughs> could we just do this outside? It doesn't, there's no reason why we're playing this soccer game when we could be playing soccer outside. Um, that kind totally. Of yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think meeting your teenagers where they're at too, like you said, like our, when our other two older two are training hard, it's like, they're tired and it's like, I know that feeling. Like I feel the same way. And so like sometimes like watching a movie is like, a fun way to bond together and so yeah it's it definitely takes some wisdom but yeah I think the intentionality just being intentional in general is is the goal <laughs> well thank you yeah it's um it's inspiring I mean I to to see what you've done like I, I think parenting is hard as it is like when you start with a newborn and you can grow with them but to just like <laughs> have four all at once of different ages um and 
some some of the things that at least we're privy to because you're willing to share with us. Um, it, it, it's the kind of stuff that you see and read about in the in the parenting books, but then you, you're like, yeah, right. No one actually does that, and then you're doing it. So um, good job. Um, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Um, You know, it's hard to share the struggles of parenting like online and social because my kids are on there too, right? So you you don't really want them like, you don't want to expose them by any means. And so parenting has been a big challenge for me. Um, But I think it is something that um, a lot of that is like the expectations you put on yourself, right? And sometimes you have to kind of give yourself grace and I think I I had really awesome parents and so the bar is really high. So I think sometimes you compare yourself or things, but it's, it's really important to realize like the strengths you are bringing to them, you know, and it may look different than how your parents did things and stuff, but, um, but you're different and that's, and just kind of accepting that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think the biggest challenge of life, right. Is like, you you never know if you're doing it quite w- the right way. Like it's all kind of a journey and um, you just do the best you can. <laughs> yeah. I hope this is okay. You, you mentioned recently, I mean, you, you shared it publicly that, that you um, had, it, have visited with a counselor to, to, to kind of help you work through some things uh, recently. And, and um, I guess the reason I, I want to ask is um, because I, I think these times have been hard for everyone. Um, I, I don't know anyone who whose life hasn't been at least somewhat impacted by school closures or um, jobs being lost or economic downturn. And then um, with the with the increased or escalation of the racial tensions and the um, demonstrations, um, many of which you know could be leading in, toward positive change. Um, it's still a really tense time for a lot of people. And then when, when you confine people into one house or limit their, yeah. their, to get out and do the things, like you said, to, to even just to go on a vacation or travel or whatever. Um, is there any, is there anything that you can share uh, as far as things that you've learned through this process or, or even recommendations of books that people can read or, or, or even types of therapy that they, that we can seek out to, to help us through, these challenges. I'm asking you because because you are a role model to so many people, and and I, I know that in most cases, it, including this, you know, we're holding you up on a pedestal, and I think it's it's really important to see that. I, I, I really appreciate how vulnerable you were in sharing that, and, and I'm just wondering if you could provide a little bit more insight as far as how that works. Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, vulnerability comes easy to me. Sometimes I, I wonder if I overshare on social media. I'm like, I don't know about this, but, um, but I think I, I try to share just because I think there is some stigma around therapy and counseling and stuff, but, um, and I don't get it a lot, but I found when I do feel stuck in an area, like every time, like like I'm always grateful that I I did and it always provides insight and really helps. Um, and, uh, the person I speak to and, and something that's really helped me a lot is, um, a couple personality typing quizzes. Um, and I think the more you can like understand yourself and how you're wired and then as well as like the people in your life, 
that maybe you're having conflict with. So it's like your spouse, your kids are like understanding how they're wired. You can see why, like what's at the root maybe of some of that conflict or relational breakdown. And so for me, the, the two things have been the Enneagram, uh, which has kind of regained popularity recently, as well as the DISC test, uh, D-I-S-C. And that one in particular is a little less well known, but for me, uh, Ryan and I took it and then we attended um, a class about it. And we were just in the back, like cracking up the whole time, like as if these people were like reading our mail, because they were like, if you're a D married to an S, like these are the kind of oftentimes like the kind of conflicts that will happen and stuff. And they were like, so right on, you know, and I think um, that's really helped me um, a with like communication, like learning how to communicate better in a way like Ryan can receive it or other people can receive it if if that's, if that's an issue, you know, and then also, um, like as far as my kids, like kind of, as I just mentioned, but, um, sometimes I just need someone like an outside person to help me identify like lies that I'm believing about myself or about my situation, kind of like where you're starting to feel like hopelessness or, Um, because anytime you don't feel hope in a situation, like you're believing a lie, right? Because I believe like with God, there's always hope in any situation. And so, um, so kind of both of those have been helpful for me. And a lot of times she goes back to like, like how I'm wired in my personality types and using those two tools. And, um, and so I'd really recommend, yeah, as a, as a starting point for people, just, um, maybe try and yeah, taking an Enneagram test, taking a DISC test. And then if it's interesting to you, just kind of diving in more, like seeing if you really identify with that and kind of like the strengths and weaknesses and, and where you can, um, yeah, just, I think the more, you know, and understand yourself, the more you can show up in a way to be a benefit to the people in your life. Thank you. And I really appreciate you mentioning that, um, even though you and Ryan are both really good people and really good runners. Um, it's really helpful to know that like, uh, you, you actually have to work on your relationship just, just like everyone yeah. else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, or be aware of, you know, things. Um, that's really helpful. Um, and, and I'm certain that anyone who's in any sort of relationship that's listening to this will benefit simply by hearing that. Um, but, but Ryan is, or has been your coach the last few years, correct? Um, yeah, ever since uh, 2016. Okay. And so that could put a lot of strain on a, <laughs> on a relationship. It could be like, like it, it, you want it to be such an altruistic type thing. Like you, you want more than anything for the person you love to have the success and reach their goals. And yet, uh, like you may have alluded to just the personality type and communication styles might not be right in some of those um, situations. So, so in your case, what is that like for your husband to also be your coach? And is it a, is it 
collaborative? Is it you discuss um, how you how you envision or what you want to do, or does he just kind of give you the workouts and say this is based on what you've been doing? This is what I think you should do. Or how does is there separation in terms of like okay, this is the time when we can talk about my training or about this or that, but we're not going to do it over dinner, or is it just kind of it just weaves throughout your lives? Yeah, when it's good, it's really good. And I think what's nice is you want your coach to know you inside and out, like as much as possible. Right. And who more can do that than your spouse? Like they know what makes you tick. Like they know how you're sleeping and eating and, you know, like they, like you, they really, I don't know. You don't have to like perform for them in a way that I think sometimes you feel like you have to for a coach, like where it's like you you want to look tough. Like you want to, you don't want to wimp out of workouts or, you know, whatever it is like with your spouse, you can just be yourself and like, um, just, you don't have as much of a filter, which I think is good because like a coach wants to see that stuff, right? Like they want to see how you're really feeling. And, um, but I think the downside for us has been because it's your spouse, like, and you have less of a filter, with your spouse, <laughs> like you, there's probably like a lack of professionalism in like how we each relate to each other that you wouldn't with a normal coach, right? Like if you're frustrated, you wouldn't just like, you know, react in the same way or like say things in the same tone or whatever. And so, um, so that's caused some conflict for sure. Like, like say I'm like out on a super long run and I'm frustrated and, and I start getting like kind of snippy with Ryan or something about then like, and then he gets mad because he's like, you're ungrateful. I'm out here on the bike and blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> like it can just like spiral from there. Um, but, uh, but I would say what has really helped my career uh, is, I mean, Ryan's coaching. I think I, I respond well to his, his type of training, but also it is very much a collaboration where, whereas, other coaching relationships, that's a little bit harder to achieve that. Um, but for us, like, I think Ryan really listens to my voice. He realizes that like, um, I know my body better than anyone, you know, and I listen to my body really well. And so he respects that. And so when I tell him like, I can handle more or I need an easy day, like he listens to that. Um, and I think that's allowed us to take a lot of risks in training that maybe another coach wouldn't be willing to take um, and try some kind of more outside the box stuff that I'm like, I kind of have a gut feeling about, you know, but it's like never been done or whatever. And he's more willing and he's more of a risk taker too, like me. So in that way, I think we work well together. Um, so, but yeah, but it's, it's, it's evolved too. Where like um, I'm getting better at just like, uh, like, you know, choosing my battles where sometimes I, I push for more, usually it's me pushing for more or less, rec more stuff, less recovery, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> and it's like, now sometimes he'll just be like, no, we're not doing that. And like, before I would like kind of push more and now I'm getting better at kind of being like, okay, like, and then choosing my battles when I really feel strongly, like the right decision is to push, um, instead of like all the time. So, um, so yeah, I, I think we have a good thing going though. It definitely, 
creates challenges. And when, and when you're disconnected, it's really hard because he's kind of like my one support person up here. So if we're fighting, like <laughs> you're either going to have like awkward tension at a workout or you're going to be flying solo or <laughs> so, um, so those moments are hard for sure, but thankfully they're not that often. Well, thank you for, for sharing that with us. I can imagine that it's super challenging for the both of you and also um, very rewarding most of the time. Um, and even if, even if you're not nailing workouts or even if you're not winning races, which you do a lot, um, but even on the days that you're not knocking out of the park, um, that, that time together can be a really special time. And even just, knowing that you've got each other's backs on a regular basis, it, the things that matter a lot to both of you, that you're, you're fully invested in the success of one another um, is a really beautiful thing. So it's, it's, it's certainly admirable. <laughs> I was just wondering um, how you've made it work. So yeah. what, I, I liked one thing that you said though, that it's, it's a good, it's nice that you're, you don't have to try and um, impress your spouse as your coach. Like they, they know, you don't need to fake that you got a good night's sleep the previous night, but they already know that you didn't. And, um, and, and hopefully, you know, you can, you can make that adjustment. Um, I think that's probably been the, the biggest challenge for me um, in that, like trying to ex- express to my wife that like, I, I'm grateful <laughs> that she cares and I, and I care because she cares, but at the end of the day, like her value to me, like has nothing to do with the time on a clock. Like that means absolutely nothing to me other than I know that it matters to her kind of thing. But in terms of yeah. What she means to me, it's like, I don't care what your PRs are. <laughs> None of that matters to me. Like that's not why I fell in love with you and it's not why I'm still with you. So I care that you care and I want to help you get there, but I don't know how to do both. I don't know how to make sure that she knows that I still love her regardless of the outcome of a race. Um, and I, I love her more than I, than I love the results, I guess. Is, uh-huh. is the, is, um, more so than with my other athletes. Like, like, it's easier to be hard on my athletes. Than me. Like, yeah, you can, you can get after it. And it's like, with, maybe I'm too easy uh, as far as that goes on because I don't, <laughs> I don't want my wife to, to feel like, there's really any calculus involved in in the coaching piece in terms of like what her value as a as a human being or mother or spouse or anything and i yeah. hope that none of that but that's that's a hard that's a hard thing because if people choose to run and they set goals it's not that the goals are bad it's just that at the end of the day <laughs> you want them to know that like the whole process is hopefully going to help us all become better people but at the end of the day like you know, regardless of the outcome, the it's who we become through the process, not not what the not what the clock says that that matters. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, I was listening to a coaching podcast recently, and they were talking about how their perspective has shifted to caring more about the relationship between the coach and athlete. You know, and pouring into that. Um, and I think that's what is really beautiful is like when you're on this journey together and you're getting to craft something together, you know, that's Mm -hmm. what's like really, um, the special part I think about 
about the uh, husband wife coach athlete is like, yeah, just getting to like go after something together. I think sometimes we can live like parallel lives, especially when you have kids and it's like your time is so much more limited. It's like if you're involved in this thing and they're involved in that thing and then you have the kids, it's like that takes all your time, but you're not getting to like, you might get date night or whatever, but it's like, it's not the same as when you're like daily kind of pursuing something together. Like if you work together, that'd be awesome. You know, it's a similar feeling, but, um, but yeah, for me getting, getting that unconditional support has been massive. Like for Ryan, he's always like, like I'll, I'll be beating myself up after a bad race as I do. And he's always just like, like, if you could have gone, you would have gone, you know? And he just Mm -hmm. like, trusts me like a hundred percent. And like, that's, I've had like the total opposite of that in coaching situations before, you know? And it was Mm -hmm. such a negative experience when, when you felt like you had to prove to them that, you know, prove yourself to them. And like, and then they made you really doubt yourself. And Ryan's like the total opposite that way. And I think, I think we can all, whether we're married or not to the person or not, like that unconditional support, I think in coaching is really huge. Yeah. That's really neat. Um, now is it you or Ryan that, that coaches your daughters or are they only coached by the, um, the coach, the high school coach, or how does that work with the, yeah, they're, um, fully coached by the high school coach. Um, we want them to be like bought into the program, you know, Um, so, but we do coach them in the off season. So summers and winters when the team isn't meeting, then Ryan, uh, Ryan is the one that really is riding their training. And then I will run with them. And this summer I got to pace them a fair amount because they didn't have practice once COVID hit. Um, and they were kind of jumping in and out of my workouts and stuff, which was fun. But, um, but yeah, typically Ryan is, is more the the coach during the off season. Okay. Cool. That's fun. Um, I want to be respectful of, of your time and I really appreciate the time that you have shared with us thus far. I did want to ask, um, just, um, wh- one of the things that you and Ryan have, have chosen to do is, um, is, is be, be more than runners, but use running as, as a vehicle for doing some of the good that you want to do in the world. And, and obviously we've, you've done that and and you're doing that. And, um, even, even within the walls of your own home, you're doing that. Um, we're in a tough place in the U S right now, um, in terms of race relations. And, um, before you even agreed to be on the show, you specifically said, you know, I'm, I'm probably not the one you want to talk to about race relations. And, uh, and I, I, I'm in the same boat. I don't, um, I don't claim to be an authority, uh, on it. Uh, no matter how, <laughs> what life experiences I've had, I'm not black. And I w- was raised in a middle-class upbringing in a rather white rural American town. So that I, um, I, I don't, I, I can't claim to be an expert on, on the black experience in, in America or, or even what it is like to be, a person of color, um, in America. Um, that being said, I, I am wondering what, what you're doing as a parent of 
of African-American daughters um, to prepare them for the world that they live in. And, um, and, and if there's anything that you would recommend uh, or that you could suggest to, to any of our listeners, as far as things that we can do as, as individuals and as a society to be better. <laughs> really, I don't know any, any other way of, of saying that, but what are, what are some things that you have encountered um, that maybe you didn't envision or anticipate that you might encounter um, as a parent of, of children of color um, and how, what are some things that, that we could do to change? So. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, I thought I would experience more overt racism after we adopted them. Um, but really there is only one experience of that. Um, but it's, it's definitely been, um, you know, it's, I think all areas of social justice is something I've like, I've cared about ever since I was young. So even before my kids, like just where I grew up and, um, and my family and stuff, like it was kind of like, yeah, like, of course, every, all races are equal. And of course, you know, it was, it was like a given. Um, and, but I think I, I didn't realize, um, and what I'm doing right now is trying to learn a lot of the past, uh, history of systemic racism and how it's actually, um, how like the systems in place have continued to oppress groups, especially um, African-Americans here in the U.S. And I think that's something I did because you look at what's happening right now and it's obvious that it's like pain and trauma is like on display right now. And so like understanding the depths of that, that it's not just about this, these couple isolated incidents that have happened recently, but it's, it's all about the last 400 years. And, and so I think understanding more of the backstory, um, and that's, that's something I've been trying to educate myself and my kids, um, about, because I think you can't fully understand and engage with what's happening now and, and understand them until you, you realize some of that stuff. Um, and I'm also using this time really to listen uh, to uh, be, I've really appreciated how many people are sharing their experiences with racism, whether it's microaggressions or overt racism or whatever, like that has been really, I think it's a special time for people to learn because that it's just way more out in the open right now. It's just, um, the conversation that's, it's what the conversation is right now. And, um, and that's really helped me even to see like, Oh, like I could see myself just like out of ignorance, like doing something similar to that, you know? And, um, and so just confronting things in yourself or maybe, and that's really what I've experienced as a, a parent of black daughters is, is more ignorance than hostility. Um, it's just comments that, um, it's just from when people don't have a maybe a very big worldview or like ha, don't really know many people that are not white, you know, just the kind of things they say. And mm -hmm. so, um, so yeah, it's, it's been good to, to talk through all this with the, our daughters and, and obviously there, 
as I said, their experience has been really positive and, and even their identity as being black is, is something that's, in, uh, they're continuing to see themselves out or increasingly seeing themselves that way. But when they first came here, they came from a culture that was completely homogenous. Like there was almost no foreigners in Ethiopia at all. And so they didn't really identify as black. Like they were like, I'm Ethiopian. And so I look like this cause I'm from Ethiopia, you know? And, um, and so I think, um, they're not at a, yeah, they haven't necessarily had the same history as someone that's generationally grown up here and stuff. But, um, but that isn't to say that they won't experience some of the same things from other people that, um, and so, so yeah, it's, it's been a, I feel like, um, like for myself, like I really, I'm trying to really understand, uh, white privilege at a deeper level, you know, and then as, as even for my kids sake, like understanding what barriers they might be experiencing, um, already and in the future and how to prepare them for that as we continue to understand the history of, um, of systems and how they've, they've put, been put in place to just benefit the white majority and stuff. And so, um, so yeah, it's, I, I am grateful for this time in a way of, um, you know, obviously I would have rather the, the horrible incidents not happened at all. Um, but I, I do feel hope that, um, that change is, is happening in the U S that people are kind of waking up to, to these systems that, uh, maybe they weren't aware of. And, and people are like, Oh, slavery ended a long time ago. Like, why are people still upset? Or like, I, I wasn't involved in slavery, but just kind of missing the point that, 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 that there's very real things happening every day, um, that are, both a fruit of things back then, but also about systems that are current that are continuing to perpetuate them and, um, and just learning how to be an ally, you know, how to be an advocate and an ally for anyone that's experiencing oppression, um, is something I'm, I'm continuing to try to learn how to do. And just, yeah, not just for my kids sake, but just in general, just cause injustice has always been something that's really, uh, really broken my heart in, in all forms. Well, I, I want to say thank you for being a, a voice and using your platform to advocate for um, those who, who may not have the same opportunities or, or privilege um, and, and also just to, um, to overthrow injustices. I know that sometimes it's easier to, um, <laughs> to just sit back and, and not speak up and and especially when you speak out um and you're in a, a particular community or there are particular followers that that you know <laughs> are going to have a hard time with the way that you're saying things whether um you're questioning the history of a religious institution or you're uh, not not questioning but just acknowledging that yeah there, there might be some things in the past that shouldn't have happened. Um, and the fact that you're willing to go there, um, and the fact that you're willing to speak out for equal rights for all, regardless of their sexual orientation and things like that, um, is a, it's an admirable thing. Um, I, I grew up in a conservative 
religious or Christian community and I, <laughs> and, and just a conservative town. And so I know that anytime I post anything, uh, I, you know, social media has gotten to the point where it's kind of siloed and most people just quit on or quit following each other if they don't like yeah. the politics. But at the same time, you know, every once in a while, like I, I got puke emojis for something for, for post, posting a black square, you know, the other day. Oh, like, wow. From, and just like, seriously, like yeah. we're, we're that backwards still, like, um, or, um, or just posting, you know, something with like a, a meme with Jesus in it, you know, so people got really vitriolic and hateful and, um, and it, I thought it was pretty funny personally, but yeah, it, it offended, it rubbed people the wrong way. And I, I have nowhere near the following or the influence or the platform, but it surprises me how, and saddens me how even within the sport, um, or the community, um, if we, if we try and share things and stand up for what, what we feel is right and stand up for change and <laughs> things that, that shouldn't have ever even happened, but you know, we're, we're centuries late and people are still, um, stuck in their ways and, and, uh, and get offended by, by saying those things. I, I admire that, that you, with everything else that you've taken on and that you have going on and, and all the other challenges <laughs> that you have in your life that, that you're willing to take on these challenges as well and, and use your influence for good. So thank you very much for doing that. So. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely easier to just like post inspirational quotes and picture, you know, <laughs> it's like, just keep it like, um, but you know, I think it's really important. Like I've benefited so much from even following people that I don't agree with, just getting me to think differently, you know? And, um, I hope that the more off, I hope I encourage people to be authentic and, um, in an open way. And as, as just as I've shared stuff about my faith, which is like one of the most polarizing things that is taboo to talk about, you know, but like, I, I feel like it does a, people a disservice if you don't let them see the real you and like, what really makes you tick and what inspires you. And, um, I think I learn the most when I'm, when other people are sharing similar things. And so, so yeah. Um, but trying to figure it out as we go here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're doing a lot of good. And, uh, even if it seems like it's an uphill battle, um, you're doing a lot of good and, um, and, and other people see it and feel it and experience it. And, um, and I'll be honest, I, like I said at the beginning, um, because of some of the negative experiences in such a small town, I, I am, um, generally skeptical when people are, um, very forward about their faith. Um, because I, I, I have had it used against me in negative ways, um, like for manipulation purposes. And so yeah. I'm generally skeptical of it. And because it's, unfortunately become so intertwined with, with American politics. Um, mm-hmm. that it's so disingenuous when, when politicians are using it. And so, um, when I see other people, um, speaking up and sharing their faith, um, I, I am somewhat guarded and, um, meeting you and Ryan, um, disarmed that. And I, and I want to thank you for that because it, uh, there aren't many people who are as, as genuinely, uh, good people. Um, and I, I'm not saying you're perfect, but it, it, it really, it makes a huge difference to actually meet people who are, 
who practice what they preach and and don't hide behind, like you said, uh, inspirational quotes. You're just you are who you are, and you're doing the best you can, and and you're inspiring the rest of us to to be better. So thank you very oh, much. Thank you. Really I really appreciate, appreciate that you. a lot. Today, more than ever, it's essential that we are making the right decisions to keep our bodies healthy, to live better, be resilient, take control, and be proactive for whatever the world throws at us. But we are overwhelmed with nutritional information, leaving us with more questions than answers. Does that even work? Can I trust it? Will that work for me and my goals? How do you know what your body uniquely needs unless you ask it? For the truth seekers, the change makers, and the goal setters, the answers are inside you. Insight Tracker is the ultra-personalized nutrition and wellness platform that analyzes data from your blood, your DNA, and your lifestyle to help you optimize your body and reach your goals. Insight Tracker's patented system will transform your body's data into knowledge, insights, and a customized action plan of science-backed recommendations. Are you ready to take control of your health and wellness journey? Unlock the power of your potential with Insight Tracker. Go to info.insighttracker.com forward slash early access to be the first to hear about Insight Tracker's best deal of the year. Like you, our lives have been impacted by the uncertainty in the world. While we appreciate some of the lessons that we have learned by slowing the pace of life down a bit, we also recognize the value of routine and consistency. We believe in setting goals and working toward them. Given that so many in-person races have already been canceled or postponed in 2021, we've created a virtual race series for the athletes that we coach at Peak Run Performance to put some dates and distances on their calendars to work and train towards throughout the year. We believe that the collective momentum of a community working toward a common goal can be empowering and motivating. We also feel that it can provide a greater sense of accountability. We are offering this race series to the athletes we currently coach at Peak Run Performance, but figure that we might as well invite others to join in on the fun. If you are looking for a bit more certainty in these uncertain times, please visit peakrunperformance.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be sending out more information about the Peak Run Performance virtual race series in the coming weeks. Thanks again for listening to the Art and Science of Running podcast. If you found this episode interesting, entertaining, inspiring, or informative, please share it with your friends on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and tag the Art and Science of Running so that we can reshare it. Better yet, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. This will help others with similar interests find this free resource that we've created for listeners around the world. Many thanks in advance. I'm atop the highest mountain See the people down below Bend and drink from crystal fountains That slowly flow from melting snow